They're busy schedules to be here. They're here because they want to learn the Bible. They're here because they want to please you, Father. And I pray you help us as we open your word to uh, speak to our hearts, Lord. And as we look at this uh, lesson tonight, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, well we're there. In Joshua chapter number 20, now for some of you, I'm sure many of you, most of you probably didn't notice, but I just want to let you know so everything's up front. You can know you can trust me, alright? Um, we, we are skipping Joshua chapter number 19. If you remember last week, we were in Joshua chapter number 18. Remember this phrase, how long are you slack to go possess the land? And we preached all about that. Chapter 19, we're not dealing with tonight. And here's the reason why. I just want to be real upfront with you. Okay? The entire chapter goes like this. And Elotad, and Bethul, and Hormath, and Ziklag. You know what I'm talking about? That's the entire chapter. Now, there is a truth in chapter 19. And I don't want you to think there isn't. Because there's always a truth in all of these. And I want to show it to you real quickly. Look at verse 49 of chapter 19. It says, When they had made an end of dividing the land for inheritance by their coast, the children of Israel gave an inheritance to Joshua, the son of Nun, among them. Skip down to verse number 51. These are the inheritance which Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribe of the children of Israel divided for an inheritance by Lot in Shiloh before the land uh, before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they made an end of dividing the country. So here's uh, chapter 19. I'll just give it to you in a nutshell. The truth that you can learn from that. They divided the entire land. They made sure everybody got what they were supposed to get. And then at the end, they made sure the leader got paid. Look at verse 49 again. When they had made an end of dividing the land for the inheritance by their coast, the children of Israel gave an inheritance to Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, among them. And the leader should always get paid, and he should get paid well. And I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say that, and I would preach an entire sermon on that. But, you know, it just happens to be that we kind of dealt with that on Wednesday night. Okay, so I don't want to preach about the same thing uh, twice in the week. So we're just going to leave that alone. But if we've talked about that already. The Bible is very strict. We're not. A lot of religions today teach that pastors shouldn't get paid, leaders shouldn't get paid. The Bible is very clear that they should get paid. And if I hadn't touched on it on Wednesday, I'd preach an entire sermon tonight on it. But we dealt with it pretty uh, thoroughly on Wednesday. So we're going to skip it in, in Joshua tonight. So we'll go on to Joshua chapter 20. And in chapter 20, you find this concept that's not very well known in the Bible. And the title of the sermon tonight, or the study tonight, is entitled, The Cities of Refuge. The cities of refuge. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses. Now, back in the book of Numbers, before Joshua was a leader, and when Moses was still a leader, before they went into Canaan, God had told, and we're going to look at it later on tonight, but God had told the children of Israel that they were to have cities of refuge, six different cities of refuge throughout the land, and that they were supposed to be the cities of, they were supposed to be six cities from the cities of the Levites, because if you remember, and I don't have time to go through this, so I'm just going to explain it to you, and you can, you can study it if you like, but if you remember, all the tribes got a land, remember that? Every tribe got a, a, a portion of their land divided. Some of them were lazy and slack going into that land. And Joshua had to push them into, he said, go get that land and God has given it to you. But if you remember, the Levites were not to get land. Because they were 
the full tribe of Levi was given to God as, as the firstborn children, even though they weren't the firstborn. He took them, instead of the firstborn, He took them as a sacrifice. So the Levites belonged to God, and that's why the Levites were the priests. you remember that? So they were not supposed to get a, a land, but what they were supposed to get was they were supposed to get cities throughout the land. And the reason for that is because the, the, the priests, the preachers, God didn't want all the preachers in one location, one state of the entire country country, he wanted them spread out throughout the land so that they could minister to the people. Alright? And there's spiritual applications there as well. So, they were giving, they, instead of giving uh, inheritance, one land that was just the land of Levi, they were given cities throughout the land, alright? Uh, I believe, I, I may be wrong, I, I, don't, I don't have it in my notes, but I think they were given 42 cities in all. And six of those cities were to be cities of refuge. Now you may ask, what is a city of refuge? Look at verse 3. That the slayer that killeth any person, alright? So you've got someone here who killed another person, but look at what it says. Killeth any person unawares. You see that word unawares, okay? What the word unawares means is that they weren't attempting to kill someone. They didn't go out to kill someone. They didn't go out in anger. They accidentally caused the death of an individual. Are you following what I'm saying? Today in America, we would call that manslaughter. You know the difference between murder and manslaughter? Murder is when you go set out to kill someone. Manslaughter is when you accidentally kill someone, alright? Like maybe you uh, run a red line and you, you, know, you didn't set out to kill anyone, but you did. We call that manslaughter. And the Bible talks about that here in verse 3. That the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly. That word unwilling means they, they weren't wanting, they did not have the desire to kill someone. Okay? That the slayer that kills any person unawares and unwillingly may flee hither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. Now you say, what is the avenger of blood? And I, don't, I wish I had time to develop it, but I'm not going to take the time to do it tonight, just because I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But you've got to understand, I'm giving you context, okay, of, of the scripture here. In Old Testament Israel, alright, God did not set up, when He set up the entire nation of Israel, He did not set up a police force for the children of Israel. You will never find police officers or anything like that in the nation. Now when you get to the New Testament, you will find Roman soldiers who act as police officers and, and you know, put people in prison and stuff like that, okay? But never in God's nation. God did not have any group of people that their job was to defend the, the nation. Because what God said, God gave them judges. Have you ever heard of a book called the Book of Judges? Alright? God gave them judges who were not judges like you and I think of judges today. They were like that. But these were men of war. These were leaders. Okay? And what the, and these men walked with God. And what these judges did was they would judge between right and wrong. And the Bible said that when someone was doing something wrong, the whole nation would come and judge that person. Alright? So in, in, in Israel, okay, today, you know, your neighbors are fighting. And, and, and some guy's beating up his, his wife or something. You know, today, Americans, what we, what, what we do is we pick up the, the, the phone and call 911, you know. 90% of the calls that police officers deal with are domestic violence, alright? In Old Testament Israel, it wasn't that way. There was some drunk guy beating up his wife. All they did was three or four guys from the neighborhood got together and they took that guy out and they showed him, you don't do that, you know, and they took care of it, right? That's how it worked in the Old Testament Israel. So they didn't have these police officers, right? Now, what they did was every family had a main guy. 
that was kind of like the leader of the family. If you remember when we were studying through the book of Ruth, remember how uh, um, Boaz had to come out and purchase Ruth? Okay, because he was like the leader of that family. All right? That, one of the qualifications of that leader was that he was to be the avenger of blood. All right? So if something happened in our family, let's say that you know, I've got my family and one individual in my family is the leader. He's the, the, the most wealthy, he's the most successful, he's, he's the strongest male. All right? He would be our avenger of blood. So what that means is this. If someone in our family was murdered, okay, you, I'm giving you all this because you need to understand this to get the concept. Okay? If someone in our family was murdered, they didn't call some cop or some police officer the avenger of blood did the investigation and one of our families would go and find that person and they'd kill him and they'd get justice alright as long as the judges allowed it are you following what I'm saying so you would have every family had an avenger of blood every family had a man whose job it was that hey you killed my brother or you killed or you did this wrong and we're going to make sure that we get justice and they would prove it they would get the permission of the judge and then they would go and they would take care of it themselves Alright? And that was scriptural and it was right. But sometimes, the avenger of blood would get upset because you killed their brother, but you killed their brother by mistake. You weren't trying to. Are you following what I'm saying? And God allowed these cities a refuge for those situations. Look at verse 3 again. And the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee hither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. So the, 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 the cities of refuge would protect these people from the avenger of blood only if they accidentally killed a person by manslaughter. Look at verse 4. And when he that doth flee unto one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city, they shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of the city, and they shall take him into the city unto them, and give him a place that he may dwell among them. So you committed manslaughter, and you ran away, the avenger of blood is after you, you went to the city of refuge, they would bring you in, and they would protect you, and you would be protected in the city of refuge, but here's the only key. And it talks about it in Numbers, I'm not going to go there. If you left the city of refuge, then all bets were off. If the avenger of slayer found you on the street, he could kill you, and, and there'd be nothing wrong with that. It was legal. But as long as you're in the city of refuge, you were safe. Look at verse 5. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, so you run to the city of refuge and the avenger of blood doesn't care. He's falling after you. Then they, the city, shall not deliver the slayer up into his hands because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. Do you see that? So he smote his neighbor, but he wasn't meaning, he didn't hate this guy. It was a mistake. They were working. They were doing whatever. Look at verse 6. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days, then shall the slayer return and come unto his own city and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. So I want to start by just explaining to you what the city of refuge is and how it was practically used in Israel. But I want you to know that there's some spiritual applications and things we can learn about the city of refuge that we can apply today. And we're going to go through it as quickly as possible tonight. just want to give you a few things to think about. Look at verse 1 again. The Lord also spake unto Joshua. So, at first I wanted you to understand. You understand how the city of refuge worked. 
You understand the purpose and how it works practically on a day-to-day life. Let me give you some spiritual applications because the Bible says in the New Testament that many of the things they did in the Old Testament were an example or an an sample. They were a foreshadow. They were a picture of things to come. And oftentimes you can study things in the Old Testament and find a spiritual application in the New Testament. Look at verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, Whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer... Now, who's the slayer? That's the guy who's guilty, right? Who's the slayer? Spiritually, that's you and I. So what are you talking about? Keep your finger there in Judges chapter 20. Go to Romans chapter number 3 real quickly. Romans chapter number 3. Let me just show you a spiritual application about this story. And we'll be on our way tonight. Romans chapter number 3, and look at verse number, let's just begin reading at verse number 10. Romans chapter number 3, and look at verse number 10. The Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That word righteous there, if you look at the first part of the word righteous, it says right. Someone who's righteous is someone who always does right. And someone who's never done wrong. A modern word you and I would use would be perfect. And according to the Bible, there is none righteous. No one is perfect. No one has done right all the time. We've all made mistakes. No, not one. Look at verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh out of God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. You see that? No, not one. People need to learn this today. Come out soul winning with us. We knock on people's door every week and we ask people, do you know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And a lot of very good religious people will say, yeah, I think, I think I'd go to heaven. And we'll ask them, what are you counting on to get you to heaven? And most religious people say, well, I try to live a good life. I think I'm a pretty good person. I'm not perfect, but I'm doing the best. Well, the Bible says there is none that doeth good. No, not one. Jesus Christ said there's only one who's good. That's the Father. Look at verse 13. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used to see. The poison of ash is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, is saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become... What's that next word? Guilty. Do you see that? That all the world may become, what is it? Guilty before God. Do you see that? What's the purpose of the law? Religions today say, you follow the law, you keep the Ten Commandments, and hopefully God will get you into heaven. According to this verse, the purpose of the law, look at verse 19 again. Now we know that, what, so, that uh, what things soever the law saith, is saith to them who are under the law, what's the purpose? That every mouth may be stopped, and all the world... That includes everybody. And all the world may become guilty before God. The purpose of the law is to make you and I guilty before God. No one will stand before God on the day of judgment and say, God, I think you should let me into heaven because I'm a pretty good person. When God begins to judge us based on His law, the Bible says, every mouth will be stopped. And all the world will become guilty before God. Who's the... Go back to Joshua chapter 20. The slayer is what? Guilty, right? Who does that represent? You and I, because we're all guilty before God. That the slayer, Joshua chapter 20, verse 3, that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee hither, 
and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. What is the avenger of blood? Okay, the slayer represents who? The guilty, you and I. The avenger of blood represents what? Well, the avenger of blood was coming, he was avenging, he was angry because of what the guilty slayer did, right? Who, who does the avenger of blood represent? Go to John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3, real quickly. We can, we can get through this real, real fast tonight. There's not a lot to, to cover, but I want you to understand this. In John chapter number 3, the avenger of blood, so the slayer is those who are guilty, which is who? You and I. The avenger of blood is the punishment for what the guilty have done. Are you there in John chapter 3? Look at verse 16, most famous verse in the Bible. I don't, I'm not really going there, but I, I, I don't want to pass it up. It's such a great verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, that's you and I, that He gave His only begotten Son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever, that means anybody, believeth, that's the faith, in Him, that's Jesus Christ, should not perish, that means they won't go to hell, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through it might be saved. Now look at verse 18. He that believeth on Him, that's Jesus Christ, is not what? Condemned. How do you get not condemned? By believing on Him, right? But he that believeth not, okay, the person that has not believed, is condemned. What's that next word? I want you to see that word. What does it say? Already. Do you see that? Let's say that together. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned. What? Already. Alright. Here's what you got to understand, okay? People are not going to die and go to hell one day. Unbelievers are already condemned. You understand that? It's not that one day they'll be judged and go to hell. They're already condemned. There's already a cell in hell with their name on it. And how do you get not condemned? By believing. But he that believeth not is condemned. What was it? Already. Because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Skip down to verse 36. Look what it says. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. Notice the last part of the verse 36. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Do you see that? The wrath of God isn't going to abide on him. The wrath of God already abideth on him. And the fact that God hasn't killed them and sent them to hell is God's grace giving them an opportunity to be saved. The wrath of God abideth on him. Go back to Joshua chapter 20. So who did we say? Who's the slayer? The slayer is guilty, right? Who's that, who's that represent? You and I, because you and I are all guilty. But who is the avenger of blood? The avenger of blood is the wrath of God. The avenger of blood is he who is coming to punish the guilty for his sin. And the Bible says the wrath of God abideth on him already. He is already condemned. Are you following what I'm saying? So the slayer is the guilty, you and I. The avenger of blood is the punisher, the wrath of God. Look at verse 4. And when he that doth flee unto one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause. So here's what he's saying. Remember, the, 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 the guilty party goes to the city and what do they do? They declare their cause. What are they declaring? What are they saying? Here's what they're saying. I have sinned. I messed up. The wrath is after me. The slayer is after me. Would you please help me? It's a picture of salvation. 
The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. You say, what are we confessing? What are you, the word confess means to admit. What are you admitting? Now, it's not, you know, religious teach where you go and you confess all your sins. You go in some booth somewhere and you confess all your sins. Let me tell you something. You could not confess all the sins. You don't even know all the sins you've ever committed. Most people don't even know half the stuff they do is sins, number one. And then you can't even remember all the sins you've ever committed. So God is not asking you to sit there and, well, today I did this, and today I did this. What you're saying is, what you're confessing is, you're confessing the fact that you are a sinner. The Bible says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what are you doing? You're declaring your cause. And if thou shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. Okay, so here's what they did. They came to the city. They, uh, let's just read verse 4 again. And when he doth flee unto one of those cities, he shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city, and shall declare his cause. He'll confess with his mouth in the ears of the elder of the city. They shall take him into the city unto them, and give him a place, don't miss these words, that he may dwell among them. The city of refuge is not just a picture of salvation, but the city of refuge is a picture of the local New Testament church. There was a place in Israel where a man who'd messed up, a woman who'd messed up, a person who had people mad at them, a person who had caused people pain, a person who literally had an avenger of blood following them to kill them. There was a place they could go and be accepted and no one would judge them. No one would accuse them. They would bring them in. All they had to do was declare their cause and the Bible says that He may dwell among them. Let me tell you, that's a local New Testament church. And we, we, should, we, we should go out and bring in individuals in here and people come to church and they maybe mess up their lives. They maybe hurt people. They maybe done things. There may be people mad at them. But when they come here, we ought to love them and we ought to care for them and we ought to bring them in and we ought to give them the right hand of fellowship and that they may dwell among us. We don't accuse them. We don't judge them. We don't, look, you say, you don't judge them. Look, the Word of God will judge you and the Word of God will, God's going to work on you and try to, but as far as you and I are concerned, hey, we love you. That's the city of refuge. Look at verse 5. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer into his hands. Because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. Now here's, here's my favorite part. Okay, I got two more things I want to show you about this. But this is my favorite part of the whole city of refuge story. Look at verse 6. And he, that's the slayer, that's the guilty party, that's you and I, shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment. And, notice this, because remember, the city of refuge was the city of what? The Levites. Remember that? Those were the priests. Now remember that there were Levites, then there was priests, then there was the high priest. Okay, the high priest was like the main priest. If you remember, Aaron was the high priest. Okay? And the, there was only one high priest at a time. And when the high priest would die, they would elect another high priest. You're following what I'm saying? When a slayer would enter into the city of refuge, as long as he was in the city of refuge, he was saved. But look at verse 6. And he shall dwell in that city. So he's going to live in that city. Until he stand before the congregation for judgment. And until the death of the high priest. So when, whenever they moved into the city of refuge, they lived there till the current high priest died. And when the current high priest died, look what it says, until the death of the high priest, 
that shall be in those days, then... Okay, that's referring to the fact that it's after the high priest dies. Then shall the slayer return. Now notice, he will return and come unto his own city. So he's no longer in the city of refuge. He'll go back to his own city and unto his own house and unto the city from whence he fled. Okay, so the, so the guilty party would come into the city of refuge. They would be accepted in the city of refuge. They would declare their cause in the city of refuge. And when the high priest died, they were allowed to go back home but they will no longer be under the wrath of the avenger. Keep your finger there in Joshua chapter 20. Go to Hebrews chapter number 6 real quickly. Hebrews chapter number 6 towards the end of your New Testament. Hebrews chapter number 6. <coughs> Hebrews is right before the book of James. Hebrews chapter number 6. And look at verse number 7. Hebrews chapter number 6. Now if you remember, okay, who does the slayer represent? The slayer was guilty. Who does that represent? You and I. The avenger of blood was the wrath because of the guilt of the slayer. Who does the avenger of blood represent? The wrath of God. But now you've got a high priest. Who does the high priest represent? Go to Hebrews chapter number 6. Look at verse 7. Hebrews chapter number 6 verse 7. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 6 and verse 7. That's not the one I wanted. Good night. Hebrews chapter 6, 7. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Oh, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20. Look what it says. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, does that name sound familiar? I hope it does. <laughs> even Jesus, look what it says, made an high priest. You see that? Forever. After the order of Melchizedek. Aaron was the first high priest. And when Aaron died, there was a new high priest. And when that high priest died, there was another high priest. And when that high priest died, there was another high priest. But you know who the last high priest was? Jesus Christ. Now here's what's interesting. The guilty party would enter into the city of refuge. And he would enter guilty. But when the high priest died, he would leave justified. Are you following what I'm saying? The, 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 the slayer would enter into the city dirty. But when the high priest died, he would leave clean. He would enter feeling bad. He would enter mad at him. He would enter with an avenger. He would enter with wrath. But when he left, he would leave with peace. He would leave with joy. No one was falling after him. When the high priest died, and who's the high priest? Jesus Christ. Go to, go to just real quickly, go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter... See, you gotta, you gotta understand that. Here, you say, here, here's the concept. When the high priest would die, everyone who was in the city of refuge... Whatever sins they committed, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Look at verse number 21. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. When the high priest died, everyone who was in the city of refuge that was guilty of sin, here's what happened. When the high priest died, their sin died with the high priest. Are you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Look at verse number 21. For he, referring to God, hath made Him, referring to Jesus Christ, our High Priest, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Do you understand that that's what happened on the cross of Calvary? Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus never died. Never sinned. Jesus, who knew no sin, on the cross, took our sins upon Him, became our sins. Look what it says. For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Why did He do that? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Here's what you got to understand, okay? The high priest 
would die. And with the high priest's death, when the, the sin of the slayer died with the high priest. And when you and I got saved, and when our high priest died on the cross, guess what? My sin was taken off of me and put on Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, guess what? My sin died with Jesus. I love that song, and it's well my soul. My sin, oh the sin, oh, oh, oh the thought of the, uh, the, the glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. What does it say? It says it's nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. See, the, the idea of the city of refuge was this. You go to the city for safety, but when the high priest died, you are forgiven. When the high priest died, your sin died with him. When the high priest died, your guilt died with him. When the high priest died, oh, oh, the Bible's... Bible says, though our sins be crimson red, they shall be white as snow. That's the concept of the city of refuge. Isn't that an exciting thought? People say, the Old Testament doesn't preach the gospel. It seems like it preaches the gospel pretty clearly. Go back to Joshua real quickly. When the high priest died, the slayer's sin died with the high priest. He walked in guilty, he walked out justified. He walked in dirty, he walked out clean. He walked in with his sins crimson red. He walked out white as snow. Let me show you one more thing. Look at verse numbers. Well, let's just read verse 7, 6 again. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment. And until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days, then shall the slayer return. And we don't. there's no more high priest. The, high, the last high priest died. But you know the difference was? He came back. There is no more high priest. The last high priest was Jesus Christ. Until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days, then shall the slayer return and come unto his own city, unto his own house, unto the city whence he fled. And they appointed... Now here's, a, here's, a, here's what I want you to see, okay? Here are the number of cities that they appointed. Look at verse 7. And they appoint, appointed Kadesh and Galilee in Mount Naphtali. So that's the first city, alright? And Shechem in Mount Ephraim, that's the second city. And Kerjeth Arba, which is Hebron, that's the third city, in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side, Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness, upon the plains of the tribes of Reuben, that's the fourth city. And Ramoth Gilead, out of the tribe of Gad, that's the fifth city. And Golan and Bashan out of the tribes of Manasseh, that was the sixth city. So there were six cities of refuge. Go to Numbers chapter 35, real quickly. We're almost done. Numbers chapter 35. See, you, 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 uh, you made it through the, the Father's Day sermon, and now you're getting... Uh, see, you say, you, guys, you, you never preach an encouraging sermon. I think this is encouraging. Numbers chapter 35. Hey, isn't it encouraging to know that my... Gone, gone, gone. My sins are gone. Redeemed now, I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Hey, I'm I'm not guilty anymore. The high priest died and he took my sins with him. Praise the Lord for that. Numbers 35, look at verse 11. Numbers 35, look at verse 11. Actually, look at verse 6, I'm sorry. Numbers 35, look at verse 6. Look what the Bible says. And among the cities which you shall give unto the Levites... There shall be six cities. That's consistent with Joshua, right? There shall be six cities for refuge, which ye shall appoint for the manslayer, that he may flee hither, and to whom ye shall add forty and two cities. So they had forty and two cities, and then they had six cities of refuge. You say, what is the big deal with the six cities of refuge? Well, here's what you got to understand, okay? Go back to Genesis chapter number 1. We're almost done. I just want to show you a few more verses and we'll be done. Genesis chapter number 1. Genesis chapter number 1. Let me show you something interesting in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 24. Genesis 1.24. 
And God said, Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, it should be fairly easy to find, it's the first chapter in the Bible. Genesis 1, 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness. So here's the creation of man. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed to you it shall be for me and to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to every thing that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life I have given every green herb for me and it was so look at verse 31 and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good and the evening and the morning were the what day was that? the sixth day man was created on the sixth day Go to Revelation chapter 13. Should be easy to find. Last book in the Bible. Revelation chapter 13. Man was created on the sixth day. Revelation chapter number 13. Look at verse 18. Actually, look at verse 16. Revelation chapter 13. Look at verse 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark. Okay, one revelation. What is that referring to? The mark of the beast. Are you following what I'm saying? We're talking about the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive the mark in their right hand or in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell, uh, uh, save he that had the mark on the, uh, uh, or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Alright? So you couldn't buy or sell unless you had the mark of the beast. Look at verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. Do you see that? The number of the beast, the Bible tells us, is also the number of man. What's the number of man? And his number is six. Do you see that? Six hundred, three score. What's three score? A score is twenty. So three score is sixty. Remember Abraham Lincoln? Four score and seven years ago. Okay, that was 87 years ago he was talking about. So, 600, 3 score, that's 60, and 6. And of course we know that to be 6, 6, 6. So here's what's interesting. 6, the number 6 is according to the Bible, is the number of what? Man. Why is it the number of man? Go back to Joshua. We saw it in Genesis. Because man was created on the what? The 6th day. Here's what's interesting. There are 6 cities of refuge. You know what that means? There is enough refuge, there is enough grace, there is enough salvation for all of mankind. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 real quickly. 1 Timothy, we're almost done. 1 Timothy chapter 2. God wanted to make sure that there were six cities, because if there was five, then my, people might say, well, well, six is the number of men, and five, then that means that there's not enough for everybody. But God would say, no, 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 there's six cities, and there's, the six is the number of men, there's enough of the cities for all of mankind. Are you there in 2 Timothy? Uh, I'm sorry, first, did I say 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy? I, I lost my notes. 1 Timothy chapter 
First Timothy chapter. Uh, let's see. Where did I want you to go? Did I say? First? Yeah. Let's just get there. First Timothy chapter two. First Timothy chapter two. Look at verse six. Paul, let's just read. Let's read from verse four. First Timothy chapter two, verse four. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Who gave himself a ransom for... What's that say? All. All All mankind. To be testified in due time. There are those today... You can go back to Joshua real quickly. We're finishing up right here. There are those today who say, Well, Jesus didn't die for all mankind. He just died for an elect few. No, my friend. Whosoever will may come. There is enough salvation for the, the Bible says where sin did abounded, grace did much more abound. God says, I've got more grace than you've got sin. You say, I've got a lot of sin. God says, I have a lot of grace. Yeah. Say, so how much do you have? Enough for all mankind? Six represents mankind. And he says, I've got six cities of refuge. Enough for everyone. Yeah. Are you there in Joshua chapter 20? Let's just review real quickly. You got the cities of refuge. Who was a slayer? He was guilty. Who does that represent? You and I. Who was the avenger? He was the wrath of God. Who was the high priest? The Lord Jesus Christ. When the guilty came to the city of refuge, declared their cause, and the high priest died, their guilt, their sin, their, 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 their judgment, their wrath died with the high priest. And they were able to go home justified. They came in sinners, they went home saved. And you know what? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not... Your good work. Salvation is not you trying to live a good life. Salvation is not you getting baptized. Salvation is not you going to the confessional booth. Salvation is not you you doing anything. It's not speaking in tongues. It's none of that. The Bible says not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by His mercy He saved us. The only reason you and I have the ability to be saved is if we go to the high priest, we declare our cause, we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart, and when He died, which praise God, He already did, our sins are dead with Him. And we're able to go justified. Isn't that a wonderful lesson of the cities of refuge? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church. Father, I thank you that there is a place still that studies and reads and learns the Bible. And Lord, I pray that everybody would leave here knowing more about the Word of God. And Father, that when we get to these passages of cities of refuge and all these things, that we wouldn't just pass over them and think, ah, this is boring, this isn't anything we need. But realize that The scarlet thread of the blood of Christ is throughout the entire Bible. You can find the gospel throughout the entire Bible. Father, we thank you for those cities of refuge. Yes, we thank you that they're there for those who are uh, manslaughters and and they killed men unwittingly and they didn't mean to do it and they didn't have hatred in their heart. We're thankful that they were there to help those people practically. But we're thankful that they're now that we can learn from them spiritually, a spiritual lesson. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen.